This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. This is the Design Thinking Show, and today is Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I'm your host, Tulio Suragusa, and joining me today is our guests. We have Anshu Sharma, who is the co-founder and CEO at Skyflow. Uh, welcome back, Anshu. We've had you on the show before and on our regular Dojo Live show. I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys about design thinking. And of course, let's not forget, we also have uh, Amruta Moktali, who is the uh, CPO, the Chief Product Officer at Skyflow. Welcome, guys. Good to have you. Hey, good to be back. So, All right. uh, yes, today we're going to talk about how, how privacy by design powers innovation and there's a specific question in mind that we're going to answer, and we're going to introduce that in just a little bit. Uh, and just to give our audience a quick reminder, in the Design Thinking Program, we aim to expose or reveal how companies are using design thinking principles to better their uh, way of serving people, whether those people are clients or employees. That's the end goal. And so we're going to go through a series of questions to highlight how Skyflow is using methodologies and tools and hopefully we can learn a lot from them. So, but before we do, let's get started and get to know our guests. Let's start with uh, Amruta. If you could please introduce yourself and then we'll go with Anshu. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and then we'll highlight Skyflow as well. Awesome. Uh, good to be on the show. Uh, I'm Amruta Moktali, the CPO of Skyflow. Uh, I have been in the data world for a very long time. So I started uh, my career ages ago in Microsoft, actually, and then jumped on to do multiple different things. Uh, a lot of my early life revolved around search and searching through interesting data streams, uh, including Twitter at that point. And uh, then I moved on to uh, spend some time working on interesting platform and SaaS products um, in uh, the data uh, world in uh, Salesforce. Einstein, the AI, how we can create uh, unbiased uh, operational design and operationalizing all the AI. Um, did a bunch of that, then jumped on to do some uh, health benefits world and uh, trying to figure out how we can, uh, you know, build some great benefits for families out there and also bringing all my past experience before I jumped into Skyflow. So I uh, love to dabble into data all things data is something that excites me all the time. And which is why, you know, when we think of how to securely use data and when you use data, how you are making sure that it's preserving everyone's privacy is extremely important. And, you know, as uh, I'm a mom of two, so when I see a lot of things out there, I get scared of what's going to happen with my kids' data in the future. Uh, so, yeah, that's me and uh, good to be here. Great. I love that. Everybody always talks about, I'm a data-driven leader, but the goal is to make it people-focused. It sounds like you've cornered how to do that, so we're going to learn from you there. Welcome to the show again. Uh, Anshu, please, if you can introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and um, what you're all about. 
Sure. So uh, I'm Anshu, obviously. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO. So Amruta and I worked together to build this product. Uh, we have similar backgrounds. I spent first decade of my life at Oracle building databases and security products and identity products. Then I spent most of the second decade of my career at Salesforce building the Salesforce platform, which included things like customer data management, customer data security, customer data privacy. And what I learned through that process was <clears throat> that whole space is broken. And there are lots and lots and lots of tools that you can buy to try and fix one problem at a time. It's kind of like, you know, buying an old house and trying to fix leaks by buying, you know, uh, duct tape and you fix it in one place, it leaks from another, you go another place, it leaks from another. And after leaving Salesforce, I became a venture capitalist, invested in a bunch of companies like Mercado, Algolia, and others who did done exceptionally well. And this problem of what I call the leaky data privacy pipes didn't really ever go away from my head. And just felt like it can be fixed but cannot be fixed by existing companies. They all have old architecture. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like taking you know, an old home and trying to make it better. It's just never gonna work. So here was a problem that every consumer has. We face that when we go to a, we go file taxes, you give your social security number, you go to pharmacy, you give your patient ID number, you give your date of birth. When you're buying flowers for some reason, they need to know your date of birth. And it felt like that means it's a problem for every business and very few of them know even where to get started, leave alone, you know, eliminate the complete leaky pipe problem. So it felt like perfect problem, large market. Um, and if you can start from a fresh piece of paper and truly build something that uh, has thought through all the pieces and that's usually the hard part. Uh, it makes it easier. So in some ways, we are doing the easy stuff now. Uh, we just started with a simple piece of paper and said, what's the ideal solution? Let's go build it. So it's been a lot of fun and we're about 90, 95 people now. So it's been a fun right. journey. Very nice. We have something in common. We started our careers in very large behemoth tech companies. And, you know, people will argue, go and be an entrepreneur from day one. But you can learn so many things in bigger companies principles and processes that are going to serve you very well later on. So, but that's a whole nother show and conversation for another day. Yes. We, we, you know, I've, I've often told people that I want to pick on anybody, but like, I think if Mark Zuckerberg had had a job before he built Facebook, maybe we would have had a different outcome. It's, it's just <laughs> having real world experience, really knowing, you know, how does, Coca-Cola or Kaiser Permanente or United Airlines work, what problems they face. Like how, how do things happen? Not everything happens on Twitter and Facebook. You can't just tweet your airline ticket. Yeah, A exactly. lot of stuff goes happens behind the scenes for that uh, you know, airline ticket to ma manifest in a plane showing up. And I think real world experience just cannot be beat. Absolutely. All right, let's touch on Skyflow a little bit and then let's go right into the show. Uh, quickly, what does Skyflow do today? All right, I'll give you the uh, high level. Um, we are a data privacy vault as a service. What that means is when you are going to an airline or a pharmacy, when they ask you to give them your social security number, your phone number, date of birth, 
today they just put it in their regular databases and oftentimes that results in leaks so every few months we read about marriott losing all the credit card numbers or equifax losing all the social security numbers and keeps happening every 3 months and the reason is because they don't have a special place to keep all of this and the special place to keep all of this would be a new kind of a data store which has all kinds of governance rules security rules has privacy built in can do things magically without encrypting the decrypting the data and that's what we built we basically built um, a place for you to keep and use this data just like you would use twilio's api to make phone calls you use our api to process store manage and use uh, personal information nice all right let's keep moving forward uh let's see what we can learn today we're going to try to answer the question can you accelerate your time to market and out innovate competitors by building privacy into your product from day one that's the question we're going to look to uncover through a series of questions that are going to highlight how you guys are applying innovative principles and methodologies into designing your products and your company overall uh, move forward uh, strategy so let's kick that off with the first question and that is what methodology were used to develop the company go to market strategy what did you guys use as a way to figure out we've got this idea let's take it to market what did you guys do go for it i can i can take a first step i think this goes into some of the things anshu was talking about earlier as well right we are there are real world problems we know the problems that people are facing with in terms of where is the data where is the most immediate need to secure this data so it can be used in the right way and where is it difficult to find solutions for it or it is cumbersome or it takes people too much time resources effort so that they are even hesitant or can't even go to market with their innovations because they are bogged down by trying to figure out how to work with this data well right if you think of that that drives how you develop and do go to market is because every time you're thinking of building a product and going to market you're trying to figure out what's the problem space i'm going after first where people have this problem because you can't just build crazy solutions you need to make sure you there is a problem you know you can solve that independent problem and then go in so the met, it, typically in the methodologies in my head is usually figuring out the pain points the true pain points that are there figuring out what are the gaps in the market and in this case there's also a big education and expertise gap also it's a very complex problem you know everyone doesn't understand encryption security privacy all these things they are not you know every common person doesn't know it so going after that the pain the expertise needed the solution needed and delivery of the solution in a simplistic manner which is what we do with like you know what if everything privacy is an api and that is the simplistic solution so it's not daunting anymore so those those are kind of some things to think about so is there a process you guys subscribe to to get to in being informed on how to shape your go to market strategy i've heard you let data and information and understanding the pain points so defining the problem statement clearly that's coming out But is there some steps you guys are using? Any particular tools that's worked better for you? You know, people use mind maps, Slim uh, Canvas, anything that's uh, that's worked well for you. So I would say so there's, is, yeah, go ahead, Anshu. So when we started the company, uh, you know, 
there was no data out there, right? Uh, you start with anecdotes and then over time you turn into data. So the best tool that you can actually have is spending time with people who have the problem. Yes. So in a way, you know, some of the ideas for this company, Amruta and I were talking about this even 10 years ago. And, but it took us eight, nine, 10 years to validate the problem. And that's the methodology. Methodology is time and going and talking to, you know, hundreds of customers and going from there. So that's basically the methodology and the tools are, you know, uh, your and notepad. Yeah, it's the tools to me are always what works for you. If a napkin works for you, that's fine. Excel spreadsheet work for you, that's fine. Mind map, whiteboards, anything. The key is the what information is going in there and how are you going to make sense of it? Love it. But I clearly heard it's about listening, right? I mean, you have to learn to be a good listener. All right, let's continue to the next question. And that is, how does the company foster innovation? I mean, listening leads to better innovation, right? I mean, it's clear. Uh, there's a lot of proof points behind that. But how do you guys foster more of that within the organization? Um, multiple different ways, right? The biggest thing comes from customers, prospects, just listening all the time, talking to people, seeing what's going on. You know, even if you go on the conference floor, sometimes you talk to your friends. We don't go to coffee shops that much anymore, but, uh, you know, conversing with everyone and taking that in and then figuring out again, what are some cool things we can do? So that is one of the biggest things we promote. So one of the things I, when I joined Skyflow, I really liked what uh, what was done here. And this is very, very small piece, but it helps a lot is we have a Slack channel called Read Stuff. And what that's about is people who just hear interesting things out there. Because in the remote world, we are not meeting in the kitchen. We are not having coffee. So how do you share ideas? Hey, I heard about this interesting thing. And we share it there. Right. It's open to the whole company. And this is how it's like one piece is listening from the pain points of the customers. And this is another channel where we are listening on all the different innovations that are happening. So it basically makes people mix the two together mm -hmm. uh, in the day to day life. So that that's just one anecdote, I'd say. Love it. Sounds as though listening still plays a big role, whether you're listening to clients or listening internally or paying attention and giving people a voice. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, because we have extremely, extremely smart people in the company. Right. So, you know, when you have that, you just give them something and it sparks insane amount of ideas, thoughts and innovation in their head. So exactly. all you have to do is seed it. It's like, uh, you know, if you're a plant person, it's like uh, all the things you give to your plant, you do the sprays and stuff. That's all you need to do. And it just happens. Right. Yeah. Uh, Amruta and I are playing Leonardo DiCaprio in Inception. <laughs> Our job is to incept ideas and then, you right. know, just sit there and watch as products unfold. Right. All right. So let's take that to the next question. You're listening to clients. You're listening to employees. You're innovating based on those learnings. You're applying principles and data to inform those learning. But... How do you go about designing processes in support of delivering end user value? So what do you do with all this information and translate it into value? How do you guys actually take that and translate it into value? A um, couple of different things, right? Some things happen organically. 
because when you look at um, there's a problem, you figured out you you know it's there, we can kind of solve it. You just go through a standard process. Okay, how are we going to solve it? When are we going to solve it? Most of the time, um, we love to get design partners, right? Getting someone out there who we've spoken to who can be with us on the ride as we are designing something and uh, taking it out and figuring out the user value. So it's not doing everything in the isolation, right? So that's usually the process. You figure something out, you're going to try and solve the problem. Take the people with you as you're solving it so that by the time you're at the end of it, you know it's really solving the problem you started uh, to solve it. So that's kind of one piece. I don't know if, if it evaluates, but that's it. Then, you know, you can have any, every company trickles it down into different processes and stuff. But the concept remains the same. So we I can explain. Go ahead, Anshu. I think in addition, we have, uh, as we've grown, we've added different parts of the organization. So uh, Amrita built out the customer success organization over the last six months. We've added a lot of people in sales engineering, solutions architecture. Because we are doing an evangelist sale, as in we're teaching the world an entirely new way of solving a problem. Hmm. Part of our job is to uh, give people the education. Because once you understand there's a better way, we don't have to convince you to use Skyflow. Once you understand the better way, it automatically, it's like if you if I can convince you to buy an electric car five years ago or even today, chances are you end up with Tesla, maybe a Prius, right? There's only two. So both of those companies are highly incentivized to just teach you about electric cars rather than fighting over like I have a bigger screen than your car has. And it's the same thing for us. Anytime you're creating a new category, uh, your job is really to evangelize the category. And to do that, you can't just evangelize by coming on talk shows. You have to do the hard work of explaining to potential customers, developers, analysts, market, what does it mean? How do you do it? And so that's how you create value. You create value through education and teaching. I think this next question will really help a lot of companies who struggle with um, how to educate and be disruptive because part of the disruption is meeting people where they are and teaching them about needs they don't even realize sometimes that they have. So how does the company put people's needs as the focal point of your product roadmap? How do you balance that in such a way that you're reminding people of their needs even when they're not aware of it yet? That's the real challenge I'd love to learn what you guys have learned and share with us. Yeah, I think it goes with uh, the educational aspect that Anshu was talking about, right? Because data privacy vault, what is it? Right? When we talk to a customer and they say, hey, I am collecting PII from customers and I'm working with it. Educating them about, hey, you know what? What you really need is somewhere where you can securely store it. And not just store it so you can't do anything with it. It should be stored in a way that you can use it. And when you use it, it should be safe too. So you want to be able to mask, redact. You want to be able to make sure only people who have access get access to it. Oh, and of course, you're going to share that data with someone else. So how are you going to manage, you know, the flow of that data is also secure. So just talking to them about that and then educating them saying, you know, they might not have come to us thinking they need a data privacy vault or knowing what it is. But talking to them about saying, 
hey, these are all the problems you have, right? And then this is why you need a data privacy wall. And then working with them around where do you want to go, right? Where do you want to go in the future? Do you want to go to new markets? Do you want to launch new products? You know, these are some hurdles we have heard other people go through when they are in your world. And this is how a data privacy wall can solve it. So that's that's one piece of it. And then to your question of how people's needs are made the focal point of the product roadmap. I mean, you've heard both of us talk about listening, customers and all of that. And that's it. If you do that, people are always in the front and center of your product roadmap. We're not just building in isolation. We are building to operationalize. But what I've also heard, I think that's a key thing to point out, is sometimes companies will design something, put it out there based on what they've learned from those listenings. But it is such a change from the norm that the adoption doesn't happen. But what I've heard is, okay, so this is what we've learned. This is the problem. But then how does that make sense to you as the end user on your terms? That's what I'm hearing is a key differentiation on how you can refocus that. Would you would you agree with that? Because that's what I think I've heard you guys say. A lot of companies struggle with this, right? It's like where the rubber meets the road doesn't necessarily map to how it looks on paper all yes. the time, right? No, I that's there is. I think there's three parts to what you said. I think it's kind of a weird thing where you have to listen to the customers, but also ignore everything they're saying. Uh, and I think that's really the art, right? So um, if you ask somebody about email and say, hey, what do you hate about email? Be like, there's too much email. Well, the simplistic solution to that problem would be like, maybe we should just drop some of your email coming in. But that's not really what people mean. If you So what is the true intent of that question? I have too much email. You're signing up for it. You're clearly receiving it, reading it. What they mean is things like, well, my important email is not separated from my less important email. What they mean is after subscribing to something, maybe it should, after some time, get unsubscribed on its own. Like why does a subscription I signed up for 17 years still show up in my email inbox? They might mean things like, can I just snooze the email for five hours? So how do you take the question of like, I don't want email? That doesn't obviously translate into a product roadmap often. So similarly, if you talk to our customers, they'll be like, well, maybe we shouldn't have social security numbers and date of birth and stuff. And that's what the security guy would say. But then if you go talk to the marketing people, be like, how the hell am I supposed to get new customers for my company if I don't know anything about my customers? I really, really need. In fact, the more data I have, the more I can do. And then you talk to customer success people. They're like, well, to give customer service, I want to know not only what you've told me, but also what I can guess about you, right? Maybe if I can guess right now in Europe and your credit card got turned down, Maybe I can proactively turn it back on as a favor to you. Who wouldn't want that? But we want that, but also we want privacy. That's where, you know, Amrita's job is so hard because people are asking for contradictory things. And yeah. a lot of companies will actually build the three things. One company out there is building encryption so you can never decrypt the data. One company is building so you can capture all the data. And now the customer has to figure out how does this all work together? And what we've done and, you know, the genius of our, uh, you know, CPO is she's been able to figure out how can you have your cake and eat it too, right? How can you actually have all this data, never lose it, but always be able to use it in the service of the customer. 
And so those are the things that are really hard about product management. It's not a discipline that people really understand. It sounds simplistic, but to find the deeper question and then find an innovative solution is where really the, the true genius lies. I mean, I love, I, I love how you basically describe the role of empathy when it comes to design, yes. because, you know, it's like listening between the lines. What is this person really saying? I'm overwhelmed. I've got too much going on. I don't know how to prioritize myself. I just rather turn it off. Right. But if you listen deeply enough, that's not the real problem. The problem is something else. And it sounds as though you guys have found the balance on how to get to the Enough, enough whys, right? One of the principles of design thinking asks five levels of whys, you'll finally get to the real problem, which sometimes isn't exactly what they thought it was. Totally. Um, go ahead. Smart um, listening. Yeah, smart listening. All right, let's continue on in interest of time. You know, sometimes you learn exactly what the market needs. You create a great roadmap, but you have this thing called competitors that, you know, are, are putting different kinds of pressures on you. So you have external pressures that don't always necessarily perfectly align with the ideal way to go to market. So how do you guys, what lessons have you learned in the process of aligning market needs and differentiating yourselves from competitors? Has that come uh, some, been something you guys have had to deal with? And how have you dealt with it? Um, I look at competitors. Um, I love competitors. It's It's weird when people hear me say that, I just love competitors. Uh, when you're in a startup, when you built a great product, and then after you've built and you start selling it, you start seeing competitors, it's validation, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, that's, that's kind of how I've already created an amazing product and people want to do what I've done. And uh, that's, that's a great validation. So I look at competitors as an awesome thing. It's, uh, we need it in the market. There should be there. It makes us, you know, get better all the time. I think in terms of your question on aligning market needs and differentiating with competitors, we are always looking to every, at least in Skyflow, right? We have a core IP. We have a core of how we do things differently. And that is your anchor. That never changes. Mm -hmm. And that is how when you are anchored on that and anchored on your differentiator, competitors don't scare you. And that's probably the simplest way I can answer it is I'm not going to let go of my differentiating anchor that we start the company's foundation on by and get distracted by all these several things you're doing. Make sure your anchor is strong and then nothing will happen. Yeah. I think there is, there, is, there is, you need to have a strategy for yourself. And if that strategy for yourself is truly aligned with some good for the customer or ideally for the world, then you've kind of hit the perfect sweet spot. And for us, it's kind of like we're lucky that privacy is obviously a social good and it's a big problem. And the fact that our strategy is to just solve this big problem and we know that you know you can build a really nice business, maybe a great company one day by solving this problem uh, is, 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 the, is the good thing. I think the other thing is to what you were saying earlier around the deeper questions or five whys, a lot of our competitors are coming at it from one of the whys. So mm -hmm. you can ask a question like, why, why does customer success person have access to the wrong data? Okay, well, you can solve that by building a role-based access control system. 
that sits on your database. Okay, you've solved one problem. Another competitor comes in and says, why is encryption too hard? And they can go build that. Another company comes in and says, why is X? So they are answering the question to one why at a time. Why is PCIS too hard? Why is HIPAA too hard? And because they are answering the five whys with five different answers, and we have figured out that the five whys all lead to the same question, <laughs> you, what we built is by definition, I wouldn't say better, but definitely different, right? And that's where it all comes together. It's kind of like, like if you look at Tesla, you know, there was a battery thing, which is they had a lead on that for five years. And then he completely changed what an entertainment system looks like inside the company. Now, you know, I left my dog the other day in the car when I went and fed some, something from Walgreens. And, you know, there's a dog mode. Now, how many companies have known that dogs get hurt in cars and babies get hurt in cars when left alone? But they are the only one who basically just said, look, we should have a dog mode. So you can just say, hey, car, dog mode on. And you can leave the car and it has a screen and everything. So... Now, if you're a car company, you're competing with Tesla on seven different attributes from range of a battery all the way to dog mode. And that's what makes them unique and gives them a 5, 10, 15 year advantage. And I think hopefully for us, it should be the same as we keep building. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, let's continue. We have two more questions. Inevitably, you guys have learned a lot of lessons uh, along the way. And Curious to see what lessons has the company learned in the process of creating an innovation-driven culture. You want to take it first, Ancho? Sure. I think it's team. There is only one answer to that question. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, uh, it's it's all about the people. You know, you, you can teach some of these skills, but if, if you don't have... Uh, the values of curiosity, right? Unfortunately, it's very hard to teach curiosity at age 20 or 40 or 60, right? Um, it's very hard to teach people to learn teamwork. But weirdly enough, I was talking to somebody about someone saying, you know, teamwork versus not teamwork. And I was like, if you're truly curious, right, about something, let's say you and I truly want to find out why is the bad and maybe we are very self-centered people maybe i think i'm smarter than you but if you put the question ahead if your most important value is curiosity even if narcissism is your most important value you will end up saying hey i think it's because of this and you said because of this then i'm reading on wikipedia what's happening you're reading google we're talking to our friends we're coming back and in that moment in that meeting at least you're no longer you know, jerks to each other, you're, you're people who are collaborating on a problem. And so I think curiosity is the value, team is the answer. So you, in order to implement mm. curiosity, you have to basically select for those kind of people. Unfortunately, at times you have to fire people. Uh, and that's always the hardest people. You hopefully never have to do it. Only if I don't do my job poorly in hiring, do we ever have to make that correction. But if someone at Skyflow doesn't have curiosity, if they already know the answer to that question, most likely they're the wrong people for our team. And so to me, if you have those two things, then a lot of other stuff follows, especially in the context of us having picked a great mission 
and being lucky that there is value attached to it. People are willing to pay for it. So that would be sort of my view of how do you actually do this. I want to just highlight how powerful what you said is because, uh, you know, you rewind 20, 30 years ago, you were expected to know the answers. You were judged on your ability to know the answer. You were hired for your expertise. So if you didn't know the answer, you were it was frowned upon. But now we're realizing that coming with an informed narrative already actually creates limitation and boxes in innovation because you, you're already closed, you're closed-minded, right? But it's taken a long time for organizations to <laughs> realize that in most startups that are about more agile have changed the world in that direction to be more curious. So congratulations on that. Um, one final question in the interest of time. This is a very great conversation. I could spend hours with you guys. I'm enjoying myself for sure. Hopefully the audience is enjoying it as well. One final question. Inevitably, you've learned a lot of you know things that you were like, I wish we had figured that out earlier. So what would be, if you had to do it all over again, what would be some of the things you would do more of? I would hire Amruta earlier. I, tried, so. <laughs> that, I would have joined Cyclone earlier. <laughs> that's a good one. Yes. Right so I think, uh, yes, you wouldn't have to fix the things you had to uh, if you joined earlier. Uh, I think I would say uh, it's it's very hard to, I think one of the, you know, values is actually kindness and kindness should extend to yourself too. So, you know, I can point out many things I could do better, but if you want to build things and try things and build a startup, you kind of have to learn to forgive yourself and be kind. Like, you know, I could have maybe hired, you know, a great CPO earlier in the cycle. Maybe we could have had more design customers. I think maybe we could have focused a little bit more in the early days. But if you go back in time, you know, we, you know, she was having another great job, so we couldn't hire her at that time. We did not know. And if you're going to be curious and experiment, then you don't know the answer. So saying we should have been more focused earlier on, well, focused on what? It assumes that we knew the answer and we somehow effed it up, but we didn't. So I think there's not a lot of things I would do differently. I would, weirdly enough, I would do more of what we did. So focus even more on team, focus even more on curiosity, and, you know, just doing the right thing. I think doing the right thing when something else is super hot, I think is, is sort of actually the hardest thing to do. So I would do more of that. Mm -hmm. Amruta? Yeah, I, I will double down on a couple of things. And I always say, you know, lessons learned are doing, it's, it's weird, making more small mistakes. Because mm -hmm. the most you learn is from your mistakes more than your successes. So not being scared to take the wrong turns and uh, doing a little more of those in a smaller scale, of course, because you know you can't do too many big ones. <laughs> but uh, you know, not not getting afraid of it. I think that's that's it. Like it's okay. Just let's just go back and do more of the same, more mistakes, more small mistakes, learn from them, shape yourself and keep going. Thank you both. I've enjoyed speaking with you. And let's see if I can recap what we've learned today. The key thing is listen. Definitely look for ways to use empathy to read between the lines, you know, to understand what it is that people are saying. Be curious. Work as a team. Practice kindness. And finally, I think what I heard is 
that you should also be in an environment where you're willing to take risks and make mistakes. Yep. So thanks for being with us today, for joining us. Uh, this is the last show for this week. We had a show scheduled at noon that got postponed. But come back Monday at 12 o'clock Pacific as we do the recap show. We're going to recap three shows that we had this week. Until then, stay safe. We'll announce all the shows on Monday at 12 o'clock Pacific. Thank you for being with us again today. Just stay with me as we go off the air in just a second. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.